Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Every form of failure that can be measured, the government system uh, manages to way outshine any other form of uh, education. These are the same people that suggest that uh, somehow I am not capable of raising my kid. They who fail at every turn. There's not one that they succeed at. They're the one they fail at every turn. They suggest that I'm not able to raise my kid. Well, you're absolutely right, Mark. The real problem in our society is government is out of control. It's too large and it's obviously ineffective, inefficient, and doesn't do a good job at what they're supposed to do. If we go back to the Constitution, the limits of government are well ingrained in our Constitution. And yet politicians, because of the money, the power, the prestige, just their egos, continually grow our government. And they intrude in every possible way, excusing it as if, well, but we're doing it for your own good. Too many of our population are willing to allow government to interfere because perhaps they just don't feel capable of running their own lives. So they allow government to run their own lives, which for them... Maybe that's a fine, but don't make that choice for you, your family, or for me. And that's where Parent USA really launched uh, because I, as an attorney, observed how frequently our government micromanages every aspect of parenting. Police will often overcharge, or the prosecutors will often overcharge a particular set of facts that presumably could be found to be a crime such as, we're going to charge you with armed robbery, but maybe it was shoplifting, but you had a pocket knife in your pants. And then when it comes time to try, go to trial, you're facing 20 years in prison if you're found guilty, but they offer you a plea deal of a year of probation, a $500 fine, and pretty much anybody, unless they're just a gambler, is going to accept that plea deal. Well, that was offered here, too. The mom, in our case, was offered a plea deal where if she were to plead guilty go to a parenting class, pay a fine, and agree that her children could not babysit one another or care for one another, that it could only be an adult, unlike every other family in the entire state of Georgia nationally, only an adult could look after her kids, they would let this charge go. go. Thankfully, Melissa Henderson is courageous enough to allow us to defend her, and we're going to take it through trial if we have to, But I did file a motion to quash the accusation against her, the criminal charges, and the judge has candidly sat on that motion for over a year now. That judge heard us argue orally on July 1 of 2021. The briefing has been completed, and he has yet to rule. I'm a 13-year veteran of the United States military. I served in the Marines and the Army and the Idaho Army National Guard, and I served in Afghanistan. I re-enlisted to go to war after 9-11, wanting blood. And uh, I spent 18 months there, came home injured, left the military, and went underground for about 10 years and was just angry and and mad. And when my best friend went back for his eighth combat deployment in the National Guard, I decided to do something about it. And I had a previous relationship with Jim Risch, who was our governor. And Jim Risch had just become the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, the second most powerful man in foreign policy. Governor of where? He was the governor of Idaho. Now he's a senator from Idaho. And I thought I had an opportunity to, to reach out to Jim Risch and maybe affect foreign policy and so I questioned him on what he could do to end the war in Afghanistan and Iraq and reclaim Congress's authority to declare war and take it back from the president. 
And he said, uh, Dan, I'm with you. I'm done with nation building. And I thought, my God, I just changed U.S. foreign policy uh, after 80 years. And then he went back to Washington, D.C. and voted three times in the next 90 days to extend the war in Yemen and Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria. And so we started a veterans organization, mostly made up of combat veterans from the global war on terror that are trying to get Congress to reclaim their authority um, over the executive branch. And we decided after dealing with Lindsey Graham and Liz Cheney and Jim Risch that they're a lost cause too. And we've now taken our fight back to the states and we're using the 10th Amendment uh, to have states reclaim their control over their militia. When they went into Pakistan to get Osama bin Laden, they uh, had to do. They weren't going to ask Congress whether that was a good idea or something like that. So let's just take that in a vacuum. That kind of idea. What about the president moving, say, special forces troops and, and that kind of thing? So we have a mechanism for that. We have the War Powers Act of 1972 or 73, which gives the president the ability to respond to immediate threats. But he has rules that he has to follow. He has to report back to Congress within 30 days, and then he has 90 days to withdraw those troops, and he must report to Congress. They've never done that. The War Powers Act has never been challenged in the Supreme Court. It's just been ignored. And so, yes, I think the president should have the ability to defend American interests, but there are mechanisms and there are rules. We are a society of rules and laws. And without uh, following those and adhering to the most important that include sending people's sons and daughters off to die, um, then what kind of society do we have? One of the things in the writing of the Constitution, we'll note that the uh, the Army is not funded. Um, you know, the Navy is part of the Constitution. It says we need a Navy, uh, but it doesn't say we need an Army. And this is kind of an interesting point is, is that the, the founders, it appeared what they were trying to say was, is we'll raise an army when we need an army, but we're not going to keep an army, a standing army. And if we do, it's just professionals, sergeants, um, you know, some officers and things like that. And if we need to go uh, rally for war, like um, Pershing did in uh, World War One, you know, he was given a year to ramp up. We are advocating for the decriminalization of sex work. And specifically at Old Pros, we are trying to create the conditions to change the status of sex workers in society. So tell me what the status is that you imagine. I mean, uh, sex workers have been around a long time, and uh, you know, for whatever reason, they uh, they have they've been on the wrong end of uh, the legislative stuff. Yeah, we've been really wrong about the oldest profession for a really long time. And so the future we imagine is that the sex workers that are already members of our community can be uh, free to contribute, right? Their wisdom, uh, their talents, right? Sex workers are already excellent moms, excellent partners, um, excellent business associates, great neighbors. But because of the stigma, the shame, and the criminalization, we often have to operate in the shadows, which really disempowers us, right? We can't report crimes committed against us. We can't report domestic abusers. We can't report rapists. We can't report the serial predators, right, that, that target us. Um, and we this disempowers us, and it makes us less free as a society. Because what we're seeing is that the tools that we've built to combat sex work, right, to target prostit- consensual adult prostitution, is now being used to broadly censor the Internet, to broadly censor the freedom of movement, freedom of expression of all of us. One of the things that deeply concerns me, because I do, you know, like, if, if you don't think that you sell your body every day um, and that uh, you spend time, you know, your, your time and your body is what you sell, whether, whether you're, you know, doing sex work or doing any work. Yeah, I will absolutely say, having done prostitution and also political fundraising, my preference is to be paid up front. 
this is a really big issue that impacts so much. And we do a deep dive on it at Old Pros. So you can learn more about our work. Sign up for our newsletter at oldprosonline.org. I run a podcast called The Oldest Profession Podcast, where we do a deep dive into a different sex worker from history every week. And I think that understanding the the legacy of sex work, right, and how, how old and deep and important this has been to every society on the face of earth for all of human history is really important to recognizing the sex workers that are already members of our community. Yeah, uh, this is something that's whitewashed from the Judeo-Christian, uh, you know, thing out there. Uh, the whole society is, is that in fact, so many priestesses, um, inside of this, um, and probably, probably priests too. I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> show my, showing my bias. People of all genders have always participated in this work on both ends of it. Um, but what we did to Mary Magdalene, I think, was awful. And I think that whorephobia has really cost us quite a bit as a culture. We continue to erase the intellectual contributions, not just of people who have engaged in this work, but people who have been accused of being of engaging in this work. So it was my understanding Mary Magdalene uh, is just confusion that she was never, uh, never even accused of being a prostitute. Not until uh, 500-something when one especially misogynistic pope conflated her with, uh, with several other characters in the Bible, which I understand. There are a lot of Marys. So we raised concerns about the death penalty uh, for several reasons. Uh, essentially, it's an extension of big government. Uh, it's wasteful, it's uh, costly, ineffective. Uh, it doesn't make us safer. It doesn't give uh, any services to uh, victims' families. Um, so for this reason and, and others are, are why we have grave concerns about the death penalty. So um, when I think about the death penalty, I too am I, you know, concerned about the death penalty. I, I do have concerns about it. And here's my reason, um, as I will state, is, is that the death penalty proposes that in some way we make right the wrong of killing by killing and the killing of an innocent we know that, um, you know, sometimes mistakes are made, even in jury trials, especially in jury trials. You take a bunch of 12 ignoramuses about the law and tell them, uh, yeah, make a solution, make a, make a decision here. Sometimes they're going to be mistaken. And then we kill an innocent person in order to make good for killing an innocent person. That makes everybody, in my opinion, that advocates for the death penalty a ki- the killer that they're trying to kill and that doesn't make any sense to me and it's uh it's a it's this sort of dichotomous loop that we all get caught in mark you hit the nail right on the head it what the death penalty does it perpetuates this cycle of trauma and grief when we start identifying uh things that's the most heinous what becomes problematic is that we start valuing one life over the other and, and i think that's uh that's inconsistent with conservative principles i think it's a um, you know interesting point uh place to come on it another thing that probably needs to be mentioned when talking about the death penalty is that and this is never never mentioned and demetrius you've probably never heard this one before is the united states government authorized for decades the use of leaded gas uh gasoline and this went into the atmosphere and settled on the ground and a variety of things and many kids for a long time. One of the reasons it's speculated that there's far less crime 
now that crime began to diminish in the 90s uh, through through to now is is that we've been using unleaded gas for most of this time frame and this lead in fact drove a certain percentage of the population completely insane and um, you know nobody wants to take culpability for that you know the people that drove the cars the people that you know were in the uh, the government um, but uh, you know what level of culpability do they have I don't know but I know that it affected it so what I would say is uh, this is where we can call for increase of accountability and transparency into um, corporations or businesses or entities that are making such products that are uh, being used um, to to go forth with the death penalty. Ray, what you're proposing is is that the president of the United States should not be elected the way they they currently are through the electoral college and that sort of thing and um but that in fact they should be elected by a popular vote uh this doesn't seem like a very popular thing to have at a conservative event where republicans have decided in the last few years when since they benefited from the electoral college where um that that they like that suddenly the electoral college is a good thing well first of all let's make one thing clear the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, which is what I'm espousing, does not get rid of the Electoral College. Rather, it takes the language of the Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, which says, Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. So it uses that language, keeps the Electoral College in place, but it changes the method in which uh, electors are appointed from the current winner-take-all system, which is if you win the state, you get the electors from that state, to a system that says the states that are part of the interstate compact will award their electors to the person who gets the most votes in all 50 states. And while it is true that a lot of Republicans are skeptical because the last two Republican presidents were first elected without a, uh, a popular vote, that doesn't mean Republicans have been benefiting from the systems. In fact, those two elections were anomalies. Uh, if we continue down this road, it is my opinion, as a conservative and as a Republican, we're going to get a, get to a system which basically guarantees Democrats will win the presidency for the next 50 years. I believe if every single vote in every single state is important in every single election, Republicans will actually have to work to get conservative votes. They'll have to come up with a conservative agenda. They can't just campaign to moderates in Cleveland and Miami. They'll actually have to come up with a conservative agenda that works in Kansas and North Dakota and Idaho and, you know, pick the uh, Louisiana, uh, Mississippi, all those states. Uh, and they'll actually have to worry about what conservatives think, which is why I, as a conservative in California, believe that this is the best way to go. So that's what I've been. Uh, that's why I support the idea. So paint this picture for me. Uh, what? It, how do Democrats just get in office and stay in office because of the Electoral College that's currently in place when, the, like you said, the last two Republican presidents were uh, brought in by the uh, Electoral College? Well, what we have been seeing over the last, uh, well, since 1992, so what's that, last 30 years, is there have been a number of states. Uh, I'll, I'll pick Colorado, Nevada, uh, New Mexico, as, as the best examples, they have been floating towards the blue under the current system, under the winner-take-all system. They were reliably red up until 1992, and then we started losing. The, the challenge that we have is Texas has been doing the exact same thing. The number uh, Texas voted 62% Republican in 2004, voted 53% Republican in 2020. 
The Libertarian Party has had quite an influx over the last year when the Mises Caucus candidates took over, and and we've had such a positive response. So we've been able to run more candidates than we've ever ran before in the history of Nevada under the Libertarian Party, and uh, and we're just trying to help where we can and uh, spread the message of liberty while uh, while moving the needle in the right direction. So. So state senate um, allows you to affect policy that's inside the state, and I think that's the best way to do it is, is there's uh, so many of the nuts and bolts of tyranny really exist on the state level, but people think about the national level. You know, they're upset or happy about the given uh, liar and thief that's in charge, and, um, you know, they don't really think about what's being done on the state level until it impacts them. How many people in the state senate in Nevada? Oh, I'm gonna think. I'm in District 23. I'm in District 20. Uh, probably. Oh, don't get me lying to you now. Now, <laughs> quite a few. Um, I, I, if uh, how are the Libertarians uh, polling, and you know, what are the, your chances of actually uh, getting in office? Uh, so right now, we've got probably some of the most contentious races that have ever happened in Nevada. Uh, as an example, in in my district. Uh, I'm running against a Republican that uh, has recently moved from California. He was a politician in California as a as a as a state senator from San Francisco, and uh, he's moved to my district to become a politician here. Hey, Daily Digest listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy, so I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit patreon.com slash crblake86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. I felt an obligation at a very minimum to run for public office as a platform to tell the government to screw themselves and uh and and if at a very minimum if that's all i'm able to do i see that as a success if people want to continue to support me and 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 want me to carry that message further i i i will take it as far as they want me to i will take it as far as i can and uh and i do not i'm not looking to be part of the government i'm looking to be a challenge to the government uh, in in the political sphere. So we'll see what happens. So if people are looking for a destination to come, maybe they want to lo- lo- stay inside the United States, I often use Nevada as an example of how one can attain freedom in their life by simply picking up and moving. If you're into uh, legal weed, uh, legal gambling, prostitution, um, you know, I, I can't even remember what the other uh, others are on the list, but you can do so many things. Uh, you can, like you can get out here on the strip, you can fire a machine gun. Um, and, you know, I've never fired a machine gun, and uh, you know, so many people haven't. That's something that you can do in Nevada, and it's a freedom that you can enjoy. Would you consider Nevada to be a liberty destination so i grew up here in nevada and and i've had all these freedoms and it's been fantastic and and after after coming back i I left for a while and as and on my return i could see that a lot of liberties are disappearing quickly 
we've grown up with a lot of our cultural heritage and our family beliefs about money. My grandparents came through the Great Depression. They had a view of money. My dad reacted a very different way about money, was very loose. But if I look at what I developed from them, it was actually an anchor around my feet to move forward in terms of money, success, and meaning. So um, your your book here, and I think that it's the, at the very least, I like the ideas that you've uh, mentioned to me here, is your book is to help people get better ideas around money so that they can make more and live a better life, right? Yes. You know, if we look at my clients, uh, I've been a floor trader. I've built a trading firm. We look at what the trader's success was, how they failed. And amazingly enough, most of it is our mindset and the confusion and the conflicts that we've absorbed and inherited. My clients are good-hearted people, but in today's current culture with the conflicts around money, wealth, success, taxation, and politics, what that means is that that confusion has created internal conflicts as they absorbed, and it doesn't need to be they don't spend any time thinking about their relationship to money. Um, I can see that you're personifying it. Um, obviously, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a person, but I mean, at the very same thing, I mean, whatever it takes as far as exercises for people to get a, uh, a new view because, um, you know, so many of us are making bad choices uh, again, again, again and again around money. Um, I'm excited about getting a chance to uh, check this uh, book out on the plane and um, I'm going to I'm going to check it out. Thanks so much. Richard, um, how do people find out more about this book and uh, where do they go to get it? Yeah, conversations.money. That's conversations.money. And there you can learn about where to get the book. It's on Amazon. Uh, Once you get the book, you'll get a free course that has all the exercises in it. And the the respondents, the people who respond, tell me that this has opened up their lives to be more creative less angry, less frustrated at work, because all of a sudden, the core value they end up with and adopt is, how can I deliver more value to others? And what I get in return is what I call certificates of appreciation. So all of a sudden, our moral and ethical conflicts just evaporate, because we're giving value, and we're getting certificates of appreciation back. I'm kind of interested. Atheists for Liberty, it's, I wonder about the purpose of the organization. On one hand, I think to myself, you don't have a non-stamp collector organization. Why an atheist organization for Liberty? So, atheist organizations have existed for quite a while, and it's because for generations, unfortunately, there has been a massive stigma against atheists in this country. For a very long time, there has been a narrative that if you support liberty, or if you think you're a good or ethical person, you must be a believer, specifically a Christian believer. Despite the fact that the United States is a secular nation, while having a majority Christian population, we've had a long history in this in this country of religious freedom. And we as atheists feel like we should be treated equally in this country, that we should have an equal seat in government. And for a long time, atheist activism has existed now, especially going in a very successful direction for the last 20 years. But not many initiatives until recently when it comes to reaching out to liberty-loving Americans in the liberty movement and the conservative movement and various other places. So a few years ago, myself and other veterans from the former atheist movement that turned very woke, unfortunately, in recent years, we decided to form Atheists for Liberty to continue the fight for protecting a separation between religion and government and promoting reason 
while simultaneously advocating for ideals that have really made this country great, such as liberty, and making sure that our atheist activism to normalize atheism is really bipartisan. What is it you're doing for the Human Achievement Alliance, and what is the Human Achievement Alliance? Okay, well, this is a new organization I founded basically to carry on the work I've been doing at some of the other organizations. My premise is this. Entrepreneurs using exponential technology in communications and information, um, biohacking, uh, nanotech, uh, robotics, uh, artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, could unleash a future of unimagined wealth and prosperity with healthy, long, even 200-year lives. This is not science fiction anymore. That's how good the technology is. From a technological perspective, there's no better time in human history to be alive. Yet, in our society, we see this incredible, incredulous polarization of negativity, of people tearing down statues and saying how terrible the world is and the country is and so forth. It has nothing to do necessarily with the COVID pandemic. We have this incredible canyon-wide divide of what we could be, where the opportunities are, and what we actually see in the world today. So what and, and we have a lot of misunderstandings about what technology can do. People fear that, uh, you know, they're going to, technology is going to take all of their jobs. Um, we're going to, the, you know, biotech is going to produce a race of, uh, soulless zombies and robots and that are going to rule us, you know, the Terminator, all of this sort of misinformation. There are people who are frustrated with the current system, but who won't speak up. There are people in the longevity movement who I've been working with who uh, want to cure aging, who want to cure diseases, but the Food and Drug Administration is in the way. They want to be the Steve Jobs in these areas. And so what I'm doing is working and trying to form coalitions of groups that we might not agree with them on everything, but we want it, but they have an optimistic view of the future. Uh, the way I'd summarize it, if you want to talk about the philosophical perspective, which is, by the way, what I'm trying to do in the end is right now we have a culture that's dominated by pessimism, nihilism, anger, you know, impotence, hopelessness, malevolence. I want to replace it with a culture that's dominated by optimism, uh, purpose, joy and achievement, uh, empowerment and benevolence. And we need that spirit so that we can go out and do all these wonderful things, but we need the liberty to do them. Uh, we need the liberty for more Steve Jobs and more entrepreneurs like that to do it. And I think that we the free in the freedom movement can pull together and work with these other folks and get the good ones to say, hey, you know, do you want a dystopian future or do you want what we really could do with the technology we have today? Let's embrace it. We don't want the left to take this over. OK, uh, we you know, like they've screwed up so many other things. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.